Matthew 24 to 25 is the last recorded sermon of Jesus. Often called the Olivet Discourse, it is the sermon about the end times. The sermon is delivered two days before Jesus' death. Earlier in the day, Jesus delivered a polemic censuring the religious leaders and condemning the temple because they had desecrated it. His statement caused the disciples to ask three questions about the temple's destruction, the institution of God's kingdom, and the end of the present age. Their questions were asked in light of their understanding of the prophecy of Daniel 9. The prophecy reveals in Daniel 9.24 that God will accomplish six goals for Israel in 70 weeks, or 490 years. The first three goals are redemptive, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity. The last three goals are eschatological, to bring in everlasting righteousness, i.e. God's kingdom, to seal up vision and prophecy, i.e. fulfill the scripture, and to anoint the most holy place, i.e. reestablish the temple. Daniel 9, 25-26 continues the prophecy, stating, So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. Then, after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary, and its end will come with a flood, even to the end there will be war. Desolations are determined. Now the prophecy reveals the time frame of these 490 years. The 490 years begins with the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. Artaxerxes issued this decree in 457 B.C. 457 B.C. Next, the prophecy reveals two time frames, seven weeks and 62 weeks. The seven weeks equals 49 years, and the 62 weeks equals 434 years. Combined, these two groups of weeks equal 483 years. Now, during the first 49 years, the seven weeks, Jerusalem will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. In 408 B.C., the walls of Jerusalem were finally completed 49 years after Artaxerxes' decree in 457 B.C. After the restoration and rebuilding of Jerusalem, 62 weeks or 434 years, would transpire leading up to the revealing of the Messiah. Jesus was revealed to be the Messiah at his baptism, which began his earthly ministry. John 2.20 reveals that at this time, Herod's temple had been under construction for 46 years. Herod's temple began construction in 20 B.C., 46 years later, in A.D. 26, Jesus was baptized and revealed as the Messiah. Now, 62 weeks, or 434 years, passed from 408 B.C. until A.D. 26. To put it another way, 69 weeks, 
or 483 years passed between Artaxerxes' decree in 457 BC and the Messiah's reveal in AD 26. Next, Daniel's prophecy reveals that after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing, and the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. Two events occur after the Messiah's reveal. He will be cut off, i.e. die, and the temple will be destroyed. The Messiah died in AD 29, and the temple destroyed in AD 70. Daniel prophesied that God's plan for Israel would transpire over 70 weeks or 490 years. From 457 BC until AD 26 is 483 years or 69 weeks. That indicates there is one week or seven years left in God's plan for Israel. Daniel 9.27 completes the prophecy stating, And he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week, but in the middle of the week he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering, and on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even until a complete destruction, one that is decreed, is poured out on the one who makes desolate. Hence, the prince, the Antichrist, will come and covenant with Israel for one week or seven years after the Messiah's death and the temple's destruction. This is the final seven years of the 490 years to complete God's plan for Israel and establish the kingdom on earth. After three and a half years, the Antichrist will break the covenant with Israel, destroy Jerusalem and the temple. This event is known as the abomination of desolation. The final three and a half years will culminate in a war. These seven years are known as the tribulation. Now, knowing the Daniel 9 prophecy, the disciples assume that since Jesus just foretold the destruction of Herod's temple, the establishment of God's kingdom and the end of the present age must be at hand. Hence, they asked their three questions, wanting to know the date for the temple's destruction and the visible signs of the kingdom's establishment and the end of the present age. Now, Jesus' sermon about the end times focuses on the signs of the kingdom's establishment and the present age's end. It must be underscored that there is no mention of the rapture of the church in this sermon. The church's beginning is still a few months away when Jesus preached this sermon. Additionally, in Matthew 24 to 25, the rapture is still a mystery to be revealed. The first recorded mention of the rapture is in 1 Thessalonians 4, written around A.D. 50, 31 years after this sermon. Now, the entire focus of Matthew 24 is upon Daniel's 70th week, also known as the Tribulation. Matthew 24, 4-14 focuses on the beginning of the birth pangs, the first half of the Tribulation. Matthew 24, 15-19 focuses on the abomination of desolation, the midpoint of the Tribulation. Matthew 24, 20-27 focuses on the Great Tribulation, the second half of the Tribulation. Not only does Matthew 24, 1-28 parallel Daniel 9, 27, 
but it also fits within the chronology of the tribulation as laid out in Revelation 5, 1 through 19.21. So, if we compare Daniel's 70th week, Christ's Olivet Discourse, and John's Revelation, here's what we see. Daniel prophesies of the first half of the tribulation, the prince shall come and make a seven-year covenant with the Jews. Christ calls this in Matthew 24, 4-14, the beginning of birth pangs. And John reveals that during this time, we will have the seal judgments, Revelation 6, 1-18, and 8, 1-5. Going back to Daniel, the covenant is broken, sacrifices and oblations cease. This is the abomination of desolation, this is the midpoint of the tribulation. Christ's Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24, 15 and 19 again deals with the abomination of desolation. In John's Revelation, chapter 12, 1 to 17, he deals with the midpoint of the tribulation, notes the dragon is cast out from heaven to earth, and the Antichrist reveals himself. Then in Daniel's 70th week, we have the last half of the tribulation, referred to as a period of war and desolations. In Christ's Olivet Discourse, chapter 24, 20 to 28, it's called the Great Tribulation. And in John's Revelation, the last half of the tribulation is known for the trumpet judgments and the vile judgments, chapter 8, 6 to 13, 11, 15, 19, and 16, 1 to 21. Now, the events of Matthew in 24 and 25 are yet future. They did not occur in the disciples' lifetime, nor are they occurring in our lifetime, Christian. The events in Matthew 24 to 14 are not signs preceding the rapture. I'll say it again. The events of Matthew 24, 4 to 14 are not signs preceding the rapture. They are signs of Christ's return. They occur during the first half of the tribulation period. If you're seeing those signs, you're living in the tribulation. Christian, you are not to be looking for signs. But listening for the shout of Christ, the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet of God. Only those left behind after the rapture will be looking for these signs. Here in Matthew 24, 4-14. In Matthew 24, verse 8, the signs of Matthew 24 are referred to as birth pangs. Jesus says all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Birth pangs, a common Jewish designation in the Hebrew scriptures to depict a time of coming judgment. It was used in Jewish pseudepigraphical writings denoting the period when the Son of Man sits upon his throne and dispenses judgment. Paul used the term birth pains or labor pains about the judgments associated with the day of the Lord. He says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 2-3, For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly, like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. The day of the Lord is a prophetic reference to a future period beginning with the judgment of the tribulation and ending with the judgment of the great white throne. A woman's birth pangs or labor pains do not occur at conception or during pregnancy, but just before the delivery of the child. In this context, the child to be born is symbolic of the birth of the messianic age. Hence, all these things, 
false Christs, wars, rumors of wars, famines, earthquakes will not begin until just before Jesus' return and will, like the contractions of labor pains, increase in intensity. Here in Matthew 24, 4-14, Jesus begins answering the disciples' second question. And he provides seven birth pangs to announce Jesus' return to establish his kingdom. Now, Jesus states in Matthew 24, 4-5, that the first birth pang announcing his coming is an increase of false messiahs. Matthew 24, 4-5, And Jesus answered and said to them, See to it that no one misleads you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. Birth pang 1, an increase of false messiahs. Jesus warned, See to it that no one misleads you. See, blepo, means be vigilant or on the lookout. Misleads, planao, means to be led astray or caused to err. The disciples needed to be vigilant so not to fall into error concerning the end time events. That they believed the temple's impending destruction implied the end of the present age was at hand underscored how easily they could be deceived. And the many of you today, who think that the signs of Matthew 24, 4-14 point to the rapture of the church, demonstrates how easily you are being deceived. During the early days of the tribulation, Jesus says, Many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. To come in my name means that many individuals are going to present themselves to the masses as the Messiah or Christ. Now, there were in Jesus' day and are at present many false messiahs or false Christ. However, in the early days of the tribulation, there will be an abnormal increase in the number of individuals claiming to be the Messiah. Remember, before the tribulation begins, the rapture will occur. The global confusion and hysteria caused by millions instantaneously disappearing will present the perfect environment for these charlatans to come forth and mislead many. Again, mislead, planao, means to lead astray or cause error. These false messiahs will culminate with the revealing of the Antichrist. In Revelation 6, the scene is set in heaven at the beginning of the tribulation period. John and the 23 other elders are worshiping God the Father. John sees a book in the Father's right hand, sealed with seven seals. Jesus steps forward to open the book and break the seals. This abnormal increase of false messiahs coincides with the breaking of the first seal in Revelation 6. Then I saw when the Lamb broke one of the seven seals, and I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. The rider upon the white horse is an angelic creature who prepares the way for the ultimate false messiah, the Antichrist. This angel carries a bow without arrows, implying that the Antichrist will achieve peace not by war, but by covenants and agreements. The tribulation will begin when the Antichrist initiates a covenant with Israel that ushers in a period of global peace. Now, Jesus states in Matthew 24, 6-7, that the second birth pang announcing his coming is an increase in wars. Matthew 24, verse 6, you will 
be hearing of wars and rumors of war. See that you're not frightened, for those things must take place. But this is not yet the end, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. He warns, you will be hearing of wars and rumors of war. Since the context beginning in verse 4 is future, the you refers to those believers living during the tribulation. Yes, many people will be saved, both Jews and Gentiles, during the tribulation. We'll cover that topic later in this text. Will be, melo, refers to something that will occur in the future. Hearing, akuo, is a present tense infinitive. There are at present continual reports of wars and rumors of war. However, the many wars and reports of war at the present are are not sufficient evidence for the Lord's return. By joining this present tense verb, hearing, akuo, with a future tense verb, will be, implies that during the tribulation, there will be, again, an abnormal increase in wars and rumors of war. And folks, this abnormal increase of war coincides with the breaking of the second seal in Revelation 6. Revelation 6, 3-4, when Jesus broke the second seal, a red horse went out, and to him who sat on it, it was granted to take peace from the earth, and that men would slay one another, and a great sword was given to him. The angelic creature riding upon a red horse stirs up the various nations and kingdoms to go to war with one another. Now regarding this increase of wars and rumors of wars, Jesus says, see that you are not frightened. The word see, harao, is an imperative verb commanding believers, be vigilant. Frighten, thrao, means to be surprised, apprehensive, or alarmed. Believers during the tribulation must be vigilant, yet not alarmed by every news report about a new war or skirmish. Jesus reveals they should not be alarmed because those things must take place. In God's grand design, he ordained that there must be an increase in war, especially during the tribulation. Jesus further explains the nature of these wars. He says nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. No people group will be exempt from the effects of war in the tribulation. Yahweh declares in Haggai 2.22, I will overthrow the thrones of kingdoms and destroy the power of the kingdoms of the nations. I will overthrow the chariots and the riders, and the horses and their riders will go down, everyone by the sword of another. This increase of war, however, is just the beginning. Jesus emphasizes that it is not yet the end. Now, friends, how much more should we today not be apprehensive or alarmed about war? Nothing occurs in the geopolitical realm that God in his omniscience is not already aware. Furthermore, God is directly or indirectly in control of all these things. As Daniel 2.21 declares, God removes kings and establishes kings. So God also raises nations to war against nations and kingdoms to war against kingdoms. The outbreak of wars is all part of God's plan. Jesus states in Matthew 24.7-8 that the third birth pang announcing his coming is an increase in natural disasters. Verse 7b, And in various places there will be famines and earthquakes, but all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Again, birth pang three, an increase in natural disasters. 
He warns in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. In Luke 21.11, the corollary passage, Jesus also said there will be great earthquakes and in various places plagues and famines, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. Jesus' prophecy of increased natural disasters aligns with the third, fourth, and sixth sealed judgments of Revelation 6. Revelation 6, 5 to 6, when Jesus broke the third seal, behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hands. Revelation 6, 7 to 8, when Jesus broke the fourth seal, behold, an ashen horse, and he who sat on it had the name Death, and Hades was following with him. Authority was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by the wild beast of the earth. Revelation six twelve to 14 I looked when he broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood, and the star of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree cast its unripe fruit figs when it shaken by a great wind. The sky was split apart like a scroll when it rolled up, and every mountain and island were moved out of their place. Now the black horse of the third seal brings famine that engulfs the entire globe and results in the death of many. The ashen horse of the fourth seal brings global death and destruction. The angelic creature riding upon the ashen horse is named Death, and another angelic creature follows him called Hades. Jesus authorizes these two creatures to destroy a fourth of the world's population through sword, famine, pestilence, and beast. The sixth seal brings earthquakes and various terrors and signs in the heavens. Jesus adds, all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. The allusion to birth pangs comes from Isaiah thirteen six to 8 Isaiah prophesied, wail, for the day of the Lord is near. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. Where Therefore all hands will fall limp, and every man's heart will melt. They will be terrified. Pain and anguish will take hold of them. They will writhe like a woman in labor. Again, all these things refers to the false messiahs, the wars and rumors of war, the famines, the earthquake, the pestilence, and deaths. These things presently occur, yes, usually though regionally and certainly not all at once. However, these events coincide globally in the first half of the tribulation. And they occur with abnormal intensity. These events are but the beginning of birth pangs. As previously noted, birth pangs or labor pains do not occur at conception or during pregnancy, but before the delivery of the child. These birth pangs are painful, and they increase in intensity, culminating with the most painful moment in a woman's life, childbirth. These events of verse 4 through 8 are the beginning, or the start, of the birthing process, implying the worst is yet to come. The pain and anguish of the tribulation period will wax worse and worse in frequency and intensity, culminating in the birth of the Messianic Age and Christ's return. Jesus states in Matthew 24, 9, that the fourth birth pang announcing his coming is an increase in persecution. An increase in persecution. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. Birth pang 4, an increase in persecution. He says, then they will deliver you to tribulation. Then, tota, implies an increase in intensity. 
will deliver. Paradidomai means to hand over with evil intent to the authorities for condemnation. Tribulation, the ellipsis, refers to any form of persecution, including but not limited to physical, mental, social, or economic. Tribulation believers are going to be persecuted because they are hated by all nations because of my name. You see, these believers suffer persecution because they identify with Jesus. Hence, the persecution is ultimately against Jesus. In times of hysteria, people are always looking for someone to blame. Perhaps the Antichrist or others blame the terrors befalling humanity upon the believers and their God. You know, friends, though persecution is prevalent today, it will increase in intensity during the tribulation. Presently, there are pockets of believers experiencing persecution. However, during the tribulation, all believers will experience persecution. In particular, the result of this persecution is that they will kill you. This persecution and the resulting martyrdom coincide with the breaking of the fifth seal in Revelation 6. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And there was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren, who were also to be killed, even as they had been, would be completed also. Revelation 6, 9-11 During the tribulation, many believers will be put to death or martyred for their faith. The blessing is that they will not be left in limbo. Just as believers today upon death are absent from the body and present with the Lord, so too will these believers be immediately in the Lord's presence upon their death. Now Jesus states in Matthew twenty four ten to 11 that the fifth birth pang announcing his coming is an increase in apostasy. An increase in apostasy. At that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. Matthew twenty four ten to 11, birth pang 5, an increase in, in apostasy. Jesus says at that time, many will fall away. Fall away, scandalizo, from which we have our English term scandal, means to give up believing what is true and to believe what is false. Turning away from the truth and embracing something false is called apostasy. At that time implies that this increase in apostasy occurs in connection with the increase in persecution. You see, the apostates, though, will not be satisfied with rejecting Christ. Many will betray one another and hate one another. This betrayal involves handing believers over to the authorities, ultimately leading to their martyrdom. In Luke 21.16, the corollary passage, Jesus says, You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. The horrors of the tribulation will destroy families, not only in death, but desertion. Following Jesus is costly. The apostasy, though, does not occur in a vacuum. Jesus says many false prophets will arise. These false prophets will mislead many. Again, mislead, planao, means to lead astray. Hence, the apostasy is directly tied to the deceptive work of the false prophets. During the tribulation, there will be an organized apostate church, which John calls in Revelation 17, the great harlot. And these false prophets are an extension of that apostate church. 
Now, Jesus states in Matthew 24, 12, that the sixth birth pang announcing his coming is an increase in lawlessness. Matthew 24, verse 12, because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. Birth pang six, an increase in lawlessness. He says lawlessness is increased. Lawlessness, anomia, refers to the violation of God's law. In 1 John 3, 4, it says everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. God's law is the embodiment of his character. Those who strive to be holy like God obey his law. Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians 2, 7 that lawlessness is already at work. It's already at work. Though lawlessness is presently operating, you need to understand that during the tribulation, there is going to be an unusual increase in lawlessness. As such, people's love will grow cold. Love, agape, refers to that sacrificial love that seeks the highest good for another without expecting anything in return. Paul reveals in Romans 13.10, love is the fulfillment of God's law. Will grow cold, suko means to diminish greatly. You see, friends, when God, people abandon God's law, their love for their fellow man will diminish significantly. And this diminishing of love results in an increase of unrighteousness, injustice, immorality, and a devaluing of human life on a global scale. Paul continues to write in 2 Thessalonians 2, 7-9, Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Then that lawless one will be revealed, whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan. He who now restrains refers to the Holy Spirit. When Jesus raptures the church, the Holy Spirit will be removed from earth. At that time, his restraining of sin ministry will cease. The lawless one, also known as the Antichrist, will be revealed at that time. In Daniel 11.36, the prophet reveals that the Antichrist will do as he pleases and magnify himself above every god and will speak monstrous things against the God of God. Finally, Jesus states in Matthew 24.14 that the seventh birth pang is an increase in evangelism. An increase in evangelism. Matthew 24.13-14 But the one who endures to the end will be saved. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. Birth pang seven, an increase in evangelism. He begins with a statement about those who are saved during the tribulation. Jesus says the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now, some may be thinking, but will God not cause people to believe a lie so they cannot be saved during the tribulation? This view that no one will be saved during the tribulation represents a misunderstanding of Scripture. 2 Thessalonians 2.11 states, For this reason God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false. Now, that event occurs during the tribulation. However, note the phrase, for this reason. You need to read the previous verses to understand why God sends this deluding influence and upon whom he sends it. 
Second Thessalonians 2, 8 to 10 states, Then that lawless one, that's the Antichrist, will be revealed. The one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, and with all the, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. Empowered by Satan, the Antichrist will perform various signs and wonders. Many will follow him and reject the biblical gospel. As such, they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. It is upon those individuals who willfully choose to believe and obey the Antichrist that God will send the deluding influence. Then it will be impossible for these individuals to be saved. Does the statement, one who endures to the end will be saved, indicate that during the tribulation, salvation will no longer be attained by grace, but by works? The verb endured, hupomeno, means persevering, standing firm, or bearing up under persecution. The end, telas, is the end of the persecution. Remember, in some cases, the end of persecution is physical punishment, and in others, even death. Nonetheless, those who persist will be saved, zozo, or delivered. Friends, this promise of salvation does not refer to earthly salvation from rejection and subsequent judgment. Nor does this promise refer to eternal salvation from damnation in the lake of fire. Eternal salvation does not come from some work on the part of humanity. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 declares, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Eternal deliverance, or eternal salvation, is always accomplished through the work of God's Son, Jesus. And it is always received through repentance of sin and faith in the gospel that Jesus died, was buried, and then rose again from the dead. Instead, this promise refers to what's known as eschatological salvation, by which those who have received eternal salvation will be delivered from this world into the presence of God. Peter refers to this eschatological salvation in 1 Peter 1.14. He says, An inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away is reserved in heaven for you. You see, enduring persecution during the tribulation confirms that an individual has received eternal salvation from sin and damnation. Put another way, those who persevere prove themselves genuine believers and worthy of eschatological salvation or eternal reward. Now, notice here that Jesus affirms that individuals will be eternally saved during the tribulation. He says, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world. What is the gospel of the kingdom? According to Mark 1.15, Jesus proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom, saying the gospel of the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, the gospel message includes a twofold command. There is a command to repent of your sin. Sin separates you from God and condemns you to the lake of fire. As well, there is a command for you to believe the gospel. That specific content of the gospel is defined in 1 Corinthians 15, 3-4. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and he was buried, and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. During the tribulation, the gospel will be spread through 144,000 Jewish witnesses. Revelation 7, 4 says that there will be 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Judah. 
And in John, in Revelation 7, 9, John says, as a result of their ministry, a great multitude, which no one could count, from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes. Additionally, the gospel will be proclaimed by an angelic messenger. John reports in Revelation 14, 6-7, that during the tribulation, I saw another angel flying in mid-heaven, having an eternal gospel to preach to those who live on the earth, and to every nation and tribe and tongue and people. Now, why will the gospel be preached during the tribulation? Jesus says the gospel will be proclaimed as a testimony to all the nations. Testimony, maturion, refers to a verbal evidence that affirms something is true. The preaching of the gospel to every person alive in the tribulation evidences true truths. On the one hand, it affirms that some will repent and believe the gospel. But sadly, on the other hand, it affirms that those who reject it are indeed guilty. Friends, no one will stand before the Lord in the day of judgment and claim they have never heard or read the gospel. When the gospel has penetrated the entire world, which will not occur until the tribulation, Jesus says then the end will come. And here the end refers to the end of the present age. These seven birth pangs announce the beginning of the last seven years of God's prophetic plan for Israel. These last seven years are known as the tribulation. During this time, God will unleash his wrath upon humanity. However, notice, during the first day of the tribulation is just the beginning. God's wrath is going to be poured out in greater intensity during the second half of the tribulation. Praise God that the church will not be present for the tribulation. Indeed, as Paul explains in 1 Thessalonians 5.9, God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. This wrath refers to the tribulation, and this salvation is not eternal salvation from sin, but eschatological salvation, which occurs at the rapture. There is much information to digest in this passage. But if there's one truth to take away from this text, it is this. See to it that no one misleads you. Everything people may claim about God, heaven, and even the future must be tested according to the scriptures. Even if someone should come with fantastic signs or wonders, ask whether they are genuinely from God. 1 John 4, 1 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, Lord, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ. We praise you, Father that you are a God who has all things in your control. Even the calamities of this world, natural disasters, famines, earthquake, pestilence, even the wars, all of it's part of your plan. And Father, I praise you that you are a God of plans, that you're not making it up as you go along, but that, Father, you have predetermined it, and it's all playing out according to your predetermined plan. Father, I praise and thank you that you've chosen to share this plan with us. Father, forgive us for not knowing your word. Forgive us for when we are misinformed, when we misunderstand, when we misinterpret. Father, so many have fallen prey to this false teaching that Matthew 24, 4-14 has to do with the signs leading to the rapture. Forgive us, Father. Father, open our eyes. Open our ears. 
so that we can see and understand that these events, these signs, have nothing to do with the rapture and everything to do with the first half of the tribulation. Lord, help us not to look for signs. Help us to stop seeing boogeymen in every shadow. Help us to stop falling prey and victim to every uh, lie, every tale, every every narrative that, that, that is put out there. But rather, Lord, give us discernment. Help us to use your word to discern what is true and what is false. Father, I ask and pray that as we draw closer to that day when your son comes for us to rapture us, that, Father, we would be prepared, that we'll be alert, and that we will be watching for his return. We will be listening for his voice, for the sound of the trumpet, and for the voice of the archangel. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Amen.